the story of the Good Samaritan came up because of a question. It's a question that led to it. And Jesus kind of never answered the question that was asked, but asked him on a question that asked about the question. And then that led to him trying to help the person to understand a concept by speaking about the Good Samaritan. But we're going to get into it. It is found in Luke chapter 10. From verse 25 to 37. But for the sake of time, we're going to just, uh, for now, read from uh, around verse 25 uh, to, to 29. And then we'll pray and then we'll get into it. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of the word. Luke chapter 10 from verse 25 to 37. For this series, you're going to need to have your Bible because I'm going to ask you to write stuff and highlight stuff and underline stuff. In your Bible because you're going to... I believe that by revelation God is going to show us some things. That though we have read these passages before, we have never seen them. Amen. So lift your Bibles up and declare with me that this is God's word. Not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus name. Amen. Let me read for you quickly, right? And you can, I'm going to give you a couple of things I want you to underline, right? When it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So, in your Bibles, you probably have lawyer, right? So, the, the expert in religious law, law is explaining what kind of lawyer the person is. So, you can underline that right there, lawyer. Because whenever you're doing Bible study and they mention name, then you have to pay attention to the name. Right? When they, when they see a certain place or a certain person, you pay attention to the environment. But when names are used in scripture, you have to pay attention to the name to get the point. Every time the name is mentioned, whether the name of the place, the title of a person, or the name of a person. But when you hear a certain person the, the, the attention shift to what is happening in the space what is the environment all right so it says an expert in religious law right or a lawyer stood up to test jesus so he was doing what testing jesus therefore there was something about the question that is going to be asked that was not really genuine it was basically to chop or to test to see what Jesus would say. Alright, so here is the question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I could stop there because what you, what you call Jesus is what you're going to receive. What you see him as. So he's asking about eternal life, but he's not calling Jesus Savior. He's calling Jesus Teacher. In other words, he wants teaching... But not necessarily salvation. Though he's asking about salvation. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? 
The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. You have to underline that. So now Jesus answered and he wanted to justify his action. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So I want to ask you, who is your neighbor? I want to ask you the same question. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Everybody is a neighbor. All right. All right. So every person is a neighbor. So let me ask you the next question. The person who hates you and is planning to hurt you, is that person your neighbor? All right. All right. Let us, let us, let us pray. Heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you in the mighty and strong name of Jesus. Lord, you are sovereign. You are above all and you are before all. Beginning and the end, you are Alpha and Omega. Conquering Lion of the tribe of Judah. King of all kings and Lord of all lords. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand this morning. Recognizing that apart from you, we are nothing. And if we abide in you and you abide in us, we will bear much fruit. We come into your abiding presence as you abide in us by your Holy Spirit. And we say, speak, Lord, for we are servant here. Open our eyes to see your truth, our ears to hear your voice, our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. God caused there to be Inward change. Let not this be an ear message, but a heart message. The glory, the honor, the power, and the dominion is all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. So, um, this story really introducing a, a humorous way, in a humorous way, the relationship between good works, and, and going to heaven. Right? Um, and so we're going to look at what we have come to know as the parable of the good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10. And it begins in Jesus' response to a question asked by a Jewish lawyer. And in that time again, uh, let, let, let me just say this, right? So it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So the big question is not about compassion. It's about eternal life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What must you do to inherit eternal life? So this man is a lawyer. He's not the kind of lawyer that goes to court in a civil or a criminal case. He's, a, he's an expert in Old Testament law. And that's why some translations say a scholar in the law. He, he, he's very 
intellectually sound when it comes down to scripture. He has studied well. He is the kind of person who would oftentimes go into the temple and challenge the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's good at apologetics and he would argue and win debates because his whole thing is to test people to see how much they know and, and all of that. So in other words, he had all the head knowledge. But somehow all the information did not transfer to his heart. He knew all this stuff, but all the stuff he knew was not changing his heart. Do you know you have some lawyers in churches nowadays? They have it right in their head, but it hasn't reached down to their hearts. So everything up here, they can give you all the right answers to all the tough questions, but they have all the wrong attitudes to reflect the right answers. So their hearts and their heads are in two different places. Man tried to test Jesus. Call him teacher. Though he's asking about eternal life. He wants to know about salvation. But he doesn't want to call him teacher. The question asked of Jesus by this lawyer is really, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Basically, he's asking, what must I do to have a place in heaven? When Jesus, when he asked Jesus the question about eternal life, he was asking what Jesus saw as the essential requirements of the law. He was really saying, what are the requirements of the law that gets me into heaven? He was saying, Jesus, what must I do according to the law to get me into heaven? Let me ask you, how does one get to heaven? Uh, uh, hold on, after three. One, two, three. How do, how, how do we get to heaven? One, two, three. Uh, uh, Jesus. Alright, alright. So, I want you to find five words, make a sentence, and after three, I want us to say it. Alright, ready? Five words? You can use less than five, but you can go more than five. How does one get to heaven? One, two, three. So, do you, all, right, all right, we need to have, we need to have church. This is 101. All right. How many of you believe you're going to heaven? All right. All right. So the rest of you don't believe you're going to heaven. All right. How many of you believe you're not going to heaven? All right. How many of you are unsure if you're going to heaven? All right. So let me ask a question again. How many of you are going to heaven? May I show fan. Alright. Some people are not moving any at all. They don't put up their hand for anything. So I'm just trying to figure out what is going on. Bless God. Alright. So how do you know you're going to heaven? Huh? Believing in the word. Believing in Jesus. Alright. So anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is saved. And they are going to heaven. Uh, uh, amen. So, if, right, if, if, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning you have received salvation, you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you are heaven born. Amen. Amen. Not, that's nice and easy, man. Right? So, so he comes and he's asking Jesus um, about what I must do according to the law. So though he knows that it is 
Through the Savior get to heaven, he's asking about what law I must keep. The, the point is that many of us know that if we believe in Jesus, we'll get to heaven, but we are trying to keep the law to get there. So watch this. This is similar to what the rich, what the rich young ruler did in Matthew 19 verse 16. When he came to Jesus, he says, What good thing must I do in order to have eternal life? There are many people who still believe in their head that it is faith and grace that gets them to heaven in Jesus Christ. But here's in their hearts, they want to find out what good thing I must do. The head have the right answer, but the heart have the wrong one. Just like this lawyer. Just like this lawyer. You're going to see it in the scripture. Right? I can see Jesus just smiling as he throws the question back in the lawyer's lap in verse 26. So Jesus said to him, what is written in Moses' law? So you realize, he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response was about what? The law. He didn't ask Jesus, but Jesus knew that he knew as a scholar that it is faith and grace. But asking that question is asking about the law. So Jesus says, what is written in Moses' law? In other words, what is your reading of Moses' law? Jesus restrained from giving the man an answer. And rather said to him, you know the law. What does the law say? In verse 27, so he responds. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. In other words, don't just know it, but what? Do it. Don't just know that it is faith and grace. Live that way and you will have eternal life. Don't just know the right answer, but let it come down to your heart so you can do the right answer. So Jesus answers by saying you have answered rightly. You have answered correctly. In fact, the word translated rightly is from the word Arthos, O-R-T-H-O-S. It is in the Greek from which we get the word orthodox. That's what Jesus was saying. So Jesus was saying, okay, your beliefs, your head are orthodox, but now try to do what you believe. You believe the right thing. But you're not living it. Do you believe it's grace you're living by the law? Jesus says, Now do it and you will live. You need to underline live in your Bible. Because that word translated live, so in, the, in the Greek there are two words for live. Bios, B-I-O-S, and zoa. Bios is very simple because bios comes from where, where we get the word bi, biology. Who said that? It's a good right biology. Right? So, so when Jesus said um, live, he wasn't talking about bios, which, which is biological life. But he was talking about zoa, which means full of meaningful life. So Jesus was saying, listen, if you do what you just said you believe, you will have meaningful life. Because life, real life, not just being alive, which is bio life, but you will have a meaningful life. Because the, the enemy come to, to kill, steal, to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life. 
more abundantly. It's in the same context Jesus is saying, listen, you will live. There will be meaning to your life. If you begin to live this way and believe this and live it out, you will not just be alive. You'll begin to live. Outside of that, there is no life. And that is why there is no life outside of Christ. People are just alive outside of Christ. But there is no real life. There is no meaning full life outside of Christ. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. I don't care how beautiful you look. I don't care how big the house is. I don't care how much money in the bank. If you don't have Christ, you don't have real life. I, I, I know we think we are all right. But, but there's a life after this that we're going to live in very longer. The time on earth is very short. Because there's a number attached to it. It's 70. If you're lucky. But a life after earth. Has no time span attached to it. It's called eternity. And the greatest preparation for mankind. Is not for the 70 life. It's for eternity life. Our life in eternity. And for that you need Jesus in you. So some are troubled by this answer. But we need to understand that Jesus is not saying. That this man could be saved by the law. He's reminding the man of what the law says. The law requires not only that one keep the law. But that he keeps it perfectly. Because this man had the right thing in his head. It never got to his heart. And somehow he was still believing. That if I could keep the law. I would be okay. You know there are many believers who believe that today. Jesus is wanting him to understand. That the law must be kept. Without omission. Or failure. You must be perfect. You must be perfect. And to be justified under the law, one must be perfect. The only way the law can justify you is if you live in perfection all the days of your life. So Jesus wants the lawyer to see that law cannot save anyone because no one can keep the law perfectly. I know some of you still believe that there is something you can do to gain eternal life. A lot of people believe like, boy, if I just do this right thing, do this right thing. If I do enough right thing, I will be saved. No, 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 no. No, no, that's not how it works. You don't do right thing to get saved. You do right things because you are saved. A- amen? And I'm not doing that because I want to keep my salvation. I'm doing it because I have salvation. So why do I... Refuse to steal. Not because I want to be saved. Or I'm fighting for my salvation. I'm doing it because I have salvation. So, so, so let's do a little survey. I want everyone in the room to raise their hand. If they have never broken one of the ten commandments. I think you better put your hand down, right? If you know it's good for you. Don't. Don't, don't, don't. This, this is not one for you to put up your hand. If you have never broken a commandment, listen, it means that every single one of us, we have forfeited the chance to be perfect. Therefore, we need help. 
The good news is that you and I can't do anything to gain eternal life. Why? Because Jesus has already done it all. He has paid the price. You don't do anything to inherit something. That happens because you're a member of the family. So if you're a parent, you write what they call a will, right? And when you die, the will becomes um, effective, right? Amen? Amen? All right. And so if you leave peace alone for your son, him get the inheritance. All he has to do is to what? Be your son. Thank God we're living in a kingdom. No taxes. <laughs> Jesus. But, but, so there you go. So you inherit it. Salvation is inherit. It means that you don't have to work to get it. You don't have to keep anything to get it. You get it because you're a part of the family. Now here's what happened. Now that I have the land, I have a responsibility to my family to be a good steward of that which has been given to me. So watch this. Because I have the help of the one who gave it to me, I'm able to do it. Because I can't do it on my own either. Are we understand? So I need the Holy Spirit to help me to manage that which the Holy Spirit has given me, which is the salvation. But I didn't work to get it. I can't work to get it. Amen? Now, the Old Testament lawyer did what lawyers do. Well, he looked for a loophole in the law. Because he never wanted salvation. What he wanted to do? To test Jesus. You see, that's the problem when you have all the head knowledge of, of church. You don't really want to be saved. You want proof how much you know. You want proof that you're right. And others are wrong. He says, watch it, verse 29. But he wanting to justify himself to Jesus. And who is my neighbor? You, you, you ever go to somebody and talk to them and you say, listen, you need to be forgiven of your sin. And they say, what do you call sin? And you say to them, lying. What exactly is lying? Do you mean when? And, and they begin to justify. It's kind of funny how we are as people, right? Many of us, when, 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 we, when we define a sin, we define it based on the state that we are in. So when, when, when you're like borderline Christian, they call it Christian, you have a different definition for sin than when you're serious about God. Like when you really get serious about God, your definition of this thing changes. Because you're not doing it anymore, you know. So it is sin. But when you're doing it, well, you have to understand that when the Bible says so and so, you know the Bible, and the Bible says so and so, the Bible, but all of a sudden when you stop doing it, yes, the Bible said that is sin, and sin is sin, and God don't ramp with sin. We have a way of justifying ourselves. So many people will say, for example, an easy one to use is that um, the scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with unbeliever. But when, when a believer is with that, well, well, listen, but the person is not like they're really not saved, you know, because they really love God. And, you know, they come to church. You know, realize they didn't come to church and they read them Bible. And, and he's a nice person. You understand me? Just give them some time. Right? You see, when you get saved now, when you're married and you're in church and everything lovey-dovey and, and you see your next believer, well, the scripture says you must not be unequally yoked. And 
And, and, and they ask you, what does that mean? Well, your, your light and darkness don't go together. But when you were in it, it was light and darkness. It was a little light and a little dark. We have a way of justifying ourselves. Because we want to make sure we can explain the sin in a way so we still fit into heaven. That's what the lawyer was doing. The lawyer was saying, well, if I can find a good definition of neighbor, then guess what? I still get into heaven, even though I don't meet the father's criteria of a neighbor. So we try to define sin in a way that keeps us in heaven, but define it also in a way that keeps others out. You get that? So when we give a definition, it's so that we can fit in. But everybody else, fit out. There you go. So the lawyer is using an evasive tactic that is still being used today. Define what you mean by neighbor. Why did the lawyer ask this question? Luke says that he wanted to justify himself. That he wanted to make himself seem right in his relationship with God. The lawyer measured himself against both commands. And he figured that he met the first one well enough. But his keeping of the second one depended on how he defined neighbor. He was asking, who and how much do I have to love? We are often like the lawyer in that we try to reduce God's command to something we can live with. So we change up the definition to suit us because we still want to get to heaven based on keeping it. But when others aren't, we redefine it. So we'd like to believe that loving our neighbors mean loving people who love us. Or at least loving the people who are lovable. Loving our neighbor thereby comes to mean doing nice things for people who will probably do nice things back to us. That is probably what the lawyer thought. He thought like, well, let me give you a definition of neighbor that I know I can do. Remember, what was his original question? What must I do to do what? Get into heaven. And now, wanting to justify himself, it became a discussion about neighbor. But Jesus answered, answer tells him what someone who is already in looks like. So Jesus says, you have answered rightly. Go and do this. So Jesus was saying, the people who are already in, this is how they live. Like many of us, the lawyer knew the right answers. But he was totally unprepared for the story Jesus was about to tell him and to show him what compassion looks like in real life. Jesus defines neighbor with a story. But notice that Jesus did not call the story a parable. So it could be based on the reports of an actual occurrence. And this is so because the journey from Jericho to Jerusalem was well known for its danger in that time. It was a very steep and treacherous um, place because of the many places for the robbers to hide. In fact, it was so bad that the name of the road that they traveled on that, this, that the story is about is the road called the way of blood because people would be robbed on this road. So, so that is why they say it's not really a parable. It could have been an actual event that happened that Jesus knew of and Jesus is sharing it to teach a lesson. So it's a very believable story for those who are listening it. Jesus in this story tells us three things about compassion. Remember now, Jesus is saying, listen, you ask about 
um, what to do to get eternal life. I, I ask you what is written in the law. You talk about two things because he never gave Jesus all of Moses' law. He just gave him two. Love God and love people. Jesus says to me, you have answered rightly. Go ahead and do it. Jesus goes on kind of explaining to him like, listen, in all of this, understand the people who are in the kingdom, here is how they behave. Go and do this because this is what the people inside do. So this man was outside wanting to get in. Jesus says, this is how you have to look to get in. And he begins to talk about the story of compassion. First, compassion is demonstrated on the basis of need, not worth. That's a key thing to pick up in this story of, uh, 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 of the, 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 the good Samaritan. Oh, well, the, the scripture said, then Jesus answered and said, A certain man, and you have to underline this, went down from Jerusalem. They went down, so he's coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. That's very important that he had no clothes. Wounded him and departed. Leaving him half dead. Probably unconscious. Not dead, half dead. Our compassion is to be driven not by the worth of the recipient. But by the need of the recipient. We choose to show compassion. Not because people worth it. But because they need it. We show love not because you, you are worthy of it, but because you need it. We are kind and not because you are worthy of kindness. Because sometimes we use worth to determine who we show compassion on. Your status determines if you get help. In other words, when certain people care brought down, you will stop in the rain and help them. But other people, no sir, I wouldn't. In, in fact, we, we are like the lawyer, you know. Half of me don't know them. When we stop and help them. It's dangerous. But, but generally when we see people who we think, you know, if, if you say like all Pastor Omar, you're going to stop. Because he can't hurt you. But, but uh, who, who that? Uh, what kind of car that? Me if we stop in a rain and help them? But if there's somebody else, you would have. Compassion is demonstrated on the basis of need, not worth. Jesus says, a certain man. Today we'd probably say, some guy. The man is robbed and wounded and left for dead. He needs help in the worst way. The fact that this man is stripped of his clothing makes it impossible for the passerby to determine if he is a Jew or a Gentile. So, so a couple of things you need to understand, right? Remember this is division between Jews and Gentiles. Amen? The scripture says he's coming from uh, Jerusalem. Which, which, which would be indicating that he's a Jew, though he's not clearly in the text. He's coming from Jerusalem. The, the temple is in Jerusalem. He's going to Jer Jericho. So Jews would normally make that journey because they're coming. And you will see as the story progresses that when you get to the Samaritan, it doesn't say he's coming out of Jerusalem. And he's not coming down the road. So watch this. So he's coming down. This happens to him. They strip him off his clothes. So therefore, whoever sees him cannot tell if he's a Jew or a Gentile. In other words, whoever helps him is not helping him based on any status. It's helping him based on the position of what? Need that the person is in. 
So he's stripped of his clothes. It's impossible for anybody to know if he's a Jew or a Gentile. That means that, watch this, watch this. If the Jew passed the man, them could be passing a Jew. Right? They could be passing a Jew. So a person's cultural identity was revealed by how they dress. So how you dress in that time would tell if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. It's very good that the scripture said don't have no clothes. So nobody could tell if he's Jew or Gentile. Because I tell you this, if, he was a, if, if, if the priest knew he was a Jew, he would have stopped. What, watch yourself. As the unknown victim lay by the roadside, a series of three individuals came along, right? The first passerby is introduced in verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest, watch this, came down that road. Look at the language. He came down that road, meaning that he also came from Jerusalem and he was heading to Jeru- Jericho. That means him and the man were upon the road I come from out of the same place. Came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he sees a person in need and he, he passes by on the other side. The priest came down the road. But when he saw the man, he crossed to the other side and he continued his journey. The priest, many theologians have excused the priest throughout the years. If you listen to many of them, they will tell you that he didn't want to touch the man because the man might have been dead and this would have made the priest ceremonially unclean and he would have not been able to carry out his duties. So many theologians says, listen, don't be so hard on the priest. The reason why the priest passed is because the priest would have been ceremonially unclean if he, if he touched the man. But, but I want you to notice that it says that both he and the Levite who came along next are coming down the road. Thus, they were leaving Jerusalem and had already performed their duties. Because, let's go to scripture and study, right? When you are in Jerusalem as a priest, you only leave Jerusalem when you complete your duties. So even if he's going down the road, he could have touched the man because he would not have been ceremonially unclean because he had performed his priestly duties. You following what is happening? So there is no excuse. Watch this. One of the most shocking aspects of this parable when Jesus told it. The priest was considered the holiest person there was among the Jews. Back in that time. The priest was taught the scriptures. The priests in that time they were entrusted with offering sacrifices for the sin of the people, right? The priests were allowed to go further in the temple than regular people were. If anyone were going to reflect the character of God, it would be the priest. But he went on his way and left the man unaided. Big old church bishop and deacon. Pastor. Um, what do you call the other one again? Deacon, bishop, pastor, prophetess, prophet. Walk past the man. The man of church may I come from. Could be a church member. Battered and bruised. But him don't look like Brother Desland. 
Yeah, one black man, that man. Your brother, there's none brown. It look like Pastor Omar, man. You see, you want to hear plato, 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 man. Look like him all a bleach out him. I can't pass Omar that man. If it were Pastor Omar, I'd stop. Because at least I know him. And if I know him, he's supposed to get compassion. Listen, I love how Jesus, if you notice Jesus, right? Jesus oftentimes met people that he had no interactions with before. Like the man in the tomb. You remember that? That, that, that his family kind of put him there and chained him up because of all of these demonic activities. Jesus went there, right? And helped him. The woman at the well. The, the lady with the issue of blood. The, 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 the Zacchaeus, you come down. Matthew, the tax collector. All of these people were people that compassion was not supposed to reach out to. But compassion did. Yeah. The second passerby is introduced in verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Come on, tell the neighbor, say, don't just look. Do something. Some people look and pray, you know, and pass by the same way. I, I'll pray. Listen, then pass all accident, you know, and see just at me, you know, and somebody won't go to hospital, you know. Oh, my car, no blood, no blood, no blood, not my car. You must be mad. We pray for them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He, Jesus, save them. Save them, Jesus. They're going to die if you leave them there. Because ambulance is probably not going to reach in time. Listen, listen. I can't imagine Jesus seeing an accident and somebody needing help. And him driving him car and drive past. I can't imagine Jesus having a nice car. And see, look, 16-year-old going to school with no umbrella and getting wet. I said, Jesus, I pray that you'll stop the rain and send out sunshine to dry up this teenager before they go to school. Good thing I was not Jesus. Because I'd be a one little and say, put it down. Listen, I see Jesus stopping and say, Come. I'll take you to school. I'm going to reach work late, but I'll take you. Re- re- remember, Jesus is saying, this is how those who are in the kingdom already, in heaven, this is how they act. They show compassion. So the Levite, the Levite at least went over and looked at the man. But perhaps he was no more than the, the current practice of rubbernecking at the scene of an accident to see what happened. He too did not feel a need to do anything to help. The first two passers-by probably just didn't want to get involved. They didn't want any trouble. They weren't monsters. They were regular folks, nice, ordinary people who loved their kids and enjoyed um, life and probably tried their best to get by in the world. They saw the need and they did nothing about, about it. Both, met, both of these men saw the man but ignored the need. Two religious professionals were caught up in a lifeless religion. Lifeless. Because they were more concerned about the vertical than the horizontal. As long as they were fine with God, they don't business what happened with people. And they felt like that was real compassion. They played at church. But it does not affect the way 
they live. Does yours. They show compassion in the building. But outside the building, compassion evades them. Not only is compassion demonstrated on the basis of need and not worth. Compassion is measured by the obstacles that we must overcome to exercise it. There are always going to be obstacles, obstacles to overcome to express and show compassion and exercise compassion. It says, but a certain Samaritan. Again, a name is mentioned, so pay attention to the Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came where he was. You notice he didn't say he came down the road, so he was on a journey. So he was coming from a different direction, but he had to pass the road. When he saw him, here's what he said. He doesn't say anything like this for the first two. He had what? The first thing he said about him is that he had compassion. This man saw somebody and he had compassion. So given the mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans, remember from Old Testament, Jews have not, remember they even said to Jesus, Jesus what are you doing? Don't you know that Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans? Given the mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans, it would have been more likely to have expected the Samaritan to finish this guy off. As if the injured man were conscious, he would have been likely to have refused the aid of the Samaritan no matter how good his intentions were. So if this man were able to, to function and he saw the Samaritan, he would refuse the help. You say, don't help me, you're a Samaritan. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. Oh, oh, don't do that. Anyone had a reason to pass him by. It was the Samaritan. Today we call the story. The, the, the story of the good Samaritan. But really it's an oxymoron. Because. Good and Samaritan don't go together. It's like. You, you know. The, the, the jumbo, sh jumbo shrimp. Are pretty ugly. Oc it, they don't go together. But today, because of this, the scripture says the good Samaritan. The only time in scripture you hear about good Samaritan. From Old Testament to New Testament. The only time. Because of the compassion that he showed. He had to overcome some obstacles in order to show this compassion. What are the obstacles? He overcame the obstacle of being unappreciated. It would have been shocking for Jesus to have told the people that this man was, was helped by just an ordinary man. Because Jesus could have said that, you know, an ordinary man helped him. Somebody came by. If he's telling a story, he could just say somebody, but he said the Samaritan for a specific reason to teach a specific lesson. But it is not even a Jew helping a Jew, but rather a Samaritan helping a Jew who had been ignored by his fellow Jews. There is no... Logical reason for the Samaritan to rearrange his plans or to spend his money to help an enemy in need. Let me help you. This, Je Je I hope you get this. Jesus is saying, love your neighbor. This was his enemy. And Jesus brought up the story of the good Samaritan. A good Samaritan, a Samaritan is helping an enemy who the friends of the enemy just walk past. And Jesus is saying that if you want to get into the kingdom... This is how you live. You're going to have to love your enemy. 
Samaritan is doing for the enemy what the enemy friends fail to do for them. In other words, the person I'm going to help right now, if they have the chance, after I'm finished, they would still kill me. You see, when I'm finished helping you, you're probably going to hurt me. But I'm still going to do it. It's like with Jesus, right? Jesus knew, Jesus knew deep down that the people who he was going to the cross for are the people who would probably have problems with him, right? Weren't there the people who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who come in the name of the Lord. Who do you want? Give us all Barabbas. And, and what should we do with him? Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus knew all of that. You know what Jesus said on the cross? Father, for they know not what they do. That's real compassion. Real compassion is knowing that the grandfather you're helping used to abuse you as a child. And you know, say, if you get up out of the bed there and get back healthy and see you in the house, you have to come out the same way. And you stand there and beat him. It's knowing that the husband there where you're married to, hey, he's still going to give you some good lick if you pass your place. And him there in the hospital sick, and you have to wash him dirty clothes, you know where them did there. Before him bring them for you wash them. And you still wash them. And you still cook him dinner, don't put any little thing in there, you understand me? Knowing that, as soon as he cook it and him get healthy, he gone back to him always. And I know you're saying that, Pastor, 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 I said, go. No, that's how it went. This man is helping the enemy. If you're going to show compassion, you have to overcome being unappreciated. <laughs> of all the people. Right? That passed this injured man by. The Samaritan had the least reason to help. He was considered a no account in his society before this incident. And his good deed would not change the status in the community at large. It's not like when he was finished. People just said, boy, I'm going to tell you the Samaritan, them good man. Look how they help the Jew. They won't. No appreciation. Yet when the passage says, when he saw him, he had compassion. Now the Greek word used here for compassion is plachizomaya. Right? Plachizoma. Alright, you can put it in your phone and get it to pronounce it for you. Alright? I won't, I won't go any further. But what I'll do, I'll give you the English version, right? Because I speak English. Alright? So watch this. It, that, that word comes from a word that refers to intestines or bowels. Right? It, it is equivalent of what we mean when we say, I have a gut feeling. A gut feeling is that comes from the deepest part of who we are. So when the scripture said he had compassion, it was saying that when the man saw the man, saw his enemy in, 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 in turmoil, in, in a bad state, something on the inside of him just teared up. Such love started churning and burning inside of him when he saw his enemy suffering. 
Jesus is saying, listen, if you go and live in the kingdom, when you see your enemy in difficulty, something turns up inside of you, saying that, oh my God, I have to help. Now you realize that it's not really as easy. The parable is not as cool as we, as we have made it out to be. It, it wasn't like just, remember buying some bun and cheese. It started from something deep inside of him. Like, I can't pass by. I can't leave him in this state. Whatever it costs me. Even if no one ever shows me any gratitude for all of this. Even if I get no thank you. If he turns around and kills me. There's something inside of me that says I must do something about this. Samaritan saw the same pitiful man lying in agony beside the road and his heart churned within him, within him so that he could not pass by without helping. That's the way compassion affects us. It steers us. It troubles us. It keeps us awake at night until we do something. When that Samaritan looked at that man suffering and lying half dead by the side of the road, something happened in his guts, something that made it impossible for him to walk away. He didn't decide to help this guy on the basis of how worthy he was. He helped him because of how needy he was. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his donkey, his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He doesn't pass by on the other side. He moved toward the injured man. We must move toward people to express compassion in order to build relationship. Come on, tell your neighbors, don't wait on them. Go to them. I said it already. Listen, Jesus always went to where the people were. He went to the tombs. He went to the pool. He went to the crowds. He went to the highways. He went to the byways. Too often the church is waiting on people to come to show them how compassionate we are. Go and find them where they are. Go in the highways and in the byways. Dig them out of them little crevices and corners. And bring them in. It's not something that just mystically happens. It takes concentrated effort. It is often not convenient. But I don't want to forget the Samaritan is moving towards someone. Again, who, if he was conscious, would despise him. Someone who no doubt would not do the same for him if the situation were reversed. That, that's the thing. If the situation were reversed and the Jew saw the Samaritan, he might walk past him. No, no, no. I'm asking your church, can you show that kind of a compassion? When you know that you know that the person you're helping, if you were in the situation, them not want to look upon you. And still at something inside of you says, I'm going to help you anyway. He overcame the obstacle of personal inconvenience. Come on, first thing, tell the person beside the obstacle of being misunderstood. Tell the person beside you. If you're going to show compassion, sometimes you're going to be misunderstood. Do it anyway. Sometimes you're going to be unappreciated. Show it anyway. In each one of his acts, he demonstrated compassion as he responded in a practical way. Timely and unselfish way. He put him on his own donkey, which meant the Samaritan walked. 
In other words, this is good, right? The, the man, the man, the, the, listen. He said to his enemy, you take the car and I'll do without. You take the donkey and I'll do without. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we could do that for our enemies. I wonder if we are willing to go that far. But it should be remembered that this act of placing this man and his donkey and leading him down the road to an inn was open to misinterpretation. Now remember that he's a Samaritan and Jews have nothing to do with Samaritan. Now if you ever think you're bad, take up a wounded Samaritan and go amongst the Jews. See if they not kill you. Because the first thing they are going to believe because they don't like you is that it's you who did it. So he was putting himself at risk. It's just like you watch the Indian and Cowboys movie. If one of the Indians get one of the Cowboys and ride him into town on him horse where the Cowboys are, he's going to be dead before he gets there. But the Samaritan was open to people. Jeez. Misunderstanding him. Willing to risk his life to show compassion just like Jesus did. He also overcame the obstacle of personal inconvenience. Tell your neighbor, if you're going to show compassion, there's a lot of inconvenience. A whole lot. It is important to recognize that he took, uh, took time to care for the man. It just didn't happen one day or two days. We may not be able to help everywhere or help everyone. But we can help somewhere and try to do a meaningful work for service. The Samaritan work did not stop with just helping the man and transporting him to a place of safety. In verse 35 it says, On the next day, so he came back. When he departed, he took out two deniers, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. In other words, he has no timeline. It could be six months, it could be six years. But he says, listen, let him run up the bill. Let, let him run up the bill. He didn't put a tab on it. He didn't say, listen, when his family come, he says, listen, whatever it costs you, take care of him until he gets back on his feet at no expense to him. When I come back, I will repay you. Everything this man had done cost him something. Either in time, inconvenience, or resources. And since traveler did not usually carry bandages with them, this man may have had to tear strips of his own clothing to bind the man's wounds. The oil and the wine that he used to clean and treat the wounds would have come from his own meager food supply. And then this man really went the extra mile. He took this man to an inn and saw, saw to it that the innkeeper looked out for his recovering victim. He also promised that he'd return and fully reimburse the innkeeper for any additional expenses that he incurred in caring for this man. So imagine you, 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 you see somebody, you take them and you say, listen, you bring them to Andrew's memorial and you say to them, listen, I'm leaving an open check. Take care of him. Every expense paid until he has fully recovered. And you write the amount in. He was doing this to, a, to an enemy. 
I want you to understand. He's doing this to an enemy. That if the person got up and realized the person could have said, I don't want anything from them kind of people that. That's real compassion. People. He left money to take care of this man's needs. And he put no limit on how much he would spend to see the wounded man taken care of. There's nothing more that the Samaritan could have done to show his compassion for this man. Ensure that at the end of it, there was nothing else I could do. I have given everything I have in compassion towards you. Compassion is measured by the obstacles that we must overcome to exercise it. And thirdly, our compassion demonstrates our relationship with God. Let, let me just close out with this. Because at the conclusion of the, his story, he asked the lawyer one additional question. In verse 36. He, this is so good, right? He said to, Jesus said to the man, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? What would your answer be? Which of these three... Come on. I, I want you to give me the answer. Just give, really, give me the answer. Which of these three... Let me, let me ask you the question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among this, the thieves? No, just don't look, don't look in the Bible. Just give me an answer, no man. Which of these three? The, this, the Samaritan. Just say the Samaritan. After three, just say the Samaritan. But you know that the Jew couldn't say Samaritan. Jesus is talking to a Jew, you know. But they, they despise the Samaritan so much. So look at it. Look at his answer. He, he, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, he who showed mercy on him. Do you realize, is that what the Bible says? Jesus said, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. You remember I'm telling you the important thing? His name. In hermeneutics, when you hear the name, pay attention. Jesus wanted him to say the name. The man can't say the name. He, he, they hated the Samaritan so much that even after all of this, Jews still saw the one who showed compassion as an enemy. He said the one who showed mercy. For the second time, Jesus seemed to tell this man to do something. In order to inherit eternal life. When this verse continues with Jesus saying. So Jesus goes out and says to him again. Go and do likewise. In other words. Do what the Samaritan just did. Come tell your neighbor. Do what the Samaritan just did. If you have a place in heaven. Do what the Samaritan just did. That's how we know you have a place in heaven. If you live like a Levite in this story, or like a priest, something is off. Or if you're operating like the lawyer, something is off. The only character in the story that makes sense for us to practice is that of the Samaritan. So Jesus says, go and do likewise. Why does Jesus say this? Because he realized that this man will not turn to him for salvation until he turns from dependence and doing something to earn eternal life. The lawyer is left without any excuses. 
or the vindication that he wanted. The second question that the lawyer had asked was, who is my neighbor? The question had been turned on him. And now, it was, what kind of neighbor are you? 1 John 3, 16-18 says, By this we know love, because he laid down our li- his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know which scripture we know? We know John 3.16, right? What is John 3.16? That whosoever... I want you to also remember 1 John 3.16. Because 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So John 3.16 is what Jesus did. 1 John 3.16 is what we ought to do. James, in his practical principle for Christian living, or the Christian life says, in James 1.15-17, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warm and filled. Watch this. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself. It, if it does not have works, is dead. Compassion. Demonstrate whether we have a relationship with God. So in the story, Jesus is separating the person who has real relationship with God from the merely religious we saw what the religious folks did when they saw this man bruised and battered by the side of the road they kept walking in fact they crossed the street and they kept walking so the point of the story is powerful loving my neighbor is not merely a good idea or socially appropriate behavior it is evidence of my relationship with God our relationship with God is inseparable from our relationship to the people in our lives. Listen, if your life is just one way, you're missing the point. It has to be vertical and it has to be horizontal. You have to love people with the same compassion and love you have towards God. Because you can't love God properly without loving people. And you can't love people properly without loving God. They go together. We cannot have a real relationship with God and not act in love toward other people. See, I don't want you to misunderstand me though. You don't have to be a Christian to be kind. But too many people confuse kindness with salvation. I've heard people say, well, this person was so kind and you're a good pe- person. They were kind to strangers and they were kind to them. Look how they took care of their, their, their pet dog and think they must be in heaven. It, it don't work like that. Being kind or doing good works will not get you into heaven. Only knowing Jesus will get you into heaven. And 
perhaps you have identified with this man question what must i do to go to heaven the answer is the same stop trying to inherit heaven by doing instead believe on jesus trust that jesus has already paid the penalty for you i want to pray for you and i'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute listen I want to pray for some person but before i do that I want, if you're a believer, I want you to pray. I want you to spend a couple of minutes just praying and say, Lord, just fill my life with compassion. The kind of compassion shown by this good Samaritan that I can love and treat my enemy the way this good Samaritan did in this story. Come on, just pray and say, God, I need need an outpouring of heavenly compassion to fill and flood my life. You just ask the Lord. You say, Lord, listen, I know I have not been compassionate enough. Just ask him. Ask him to forgive you for for times when you should have demonstrated great compassion and you didn't. So, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I should have helped. Yes, I prayed, but I could have given a helping hand. I could have gone. I could have gone involved. I could have done more. But I didn't want to be inconvenient. I didn't want to be misunderstood. To ask him, say, Lord, give me compassion. And right away, I want to pray, say, Lord, I pray that every person, every member of this church, every person who attend will be filled with Christ-like compassion for others. Not just those who love us back, but those who hate us in return for the compassion that we show. Come, you need to pray that over your family. The Lord, I pray for this kind of compassion in my family. Husband, wife, sons, daughters. Great compassion. There are some persons I want to pray for this morning. Listen, if you're here and you're not sure that if you should die today, that you'd spend eternity with the Lord. Maybe you received Jesus, but you just still have, you have no assurance. Or you have never received Him. You want an assurance of salvation. Like, like you're just not sure for whatever reason. You, you don't have that confidence that some of us have. And if you don't have that, it will be hard for you to share the kind of compassion that we speak of. So if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I, I'm not sure. I am not sure if I should die today that I'll spend eternity with the Lord. And I want that assurance. Listen, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand if that's you. We did this song earlier. It says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. He says, I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You're here this morning and today and you say, you know what? I am not sure. I am not sure. And I I want to leave here with full confidence that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I want full confidence that I will spend eternity with my Lord and Savior. 
I want to live here with full confidence that there's a mansion that he has prepared for me. And one day I will live in that mansion. Anyone this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. I pray that by your spirit there'll be an assurance of salvation. That, that, that people will understand that indeed we don't work to be saved. We have inherited salvation. By faith we believe and by your grace we receive. And when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus Christ, we are sons of God by inheritance. We don't keep the law to be justified. We are justified by faith. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that as children of God, then we'll operate in the compassion of Christ. That we will no longer pass them by. We'll not just pass and look. But we will stop and we will help and we will give. We will serve unreservedly. Give up resources. May cause us be late for work. Be late to open the company. It doesn't matter Lord God. We choose like you. Oh, so many times it looked like in the scripture you were on a particular way and something happened to stop you. But you never allowed the place you were going to stop you from ministering where ministry was needed. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that as we are about our business and needs pop up around us that we'll pay attention to the need and begin to express compassion. Lord, even the disciples at times would want to stop people because I thought you were in a haste to get somewhere but you were never in such hurry that you couldn't stop to meet the needs of those around you because you had such compassion may that be our hearts may that be our hearts God let us not do this because we want thank yous and accolades and applause for your word declares that you're not an unjust God and you never forget our labor of love, our ministry to the saints. You said in your word that in due time we will reap a reward if we fail not. That reward is not from men, it's not to get a position, it's not to get some uh, medals, it's not to get certification. Lord God is to receive our crowns in glory. So we do this unappreciated, we do this in spite of the inconvenience and we do this in spite of being misunderstood we are ready to show compassion like never before in Jesus name Amen and Amen and Amen come on just put your hands together and give the Lord a big hand clap come on just jump to your feet come on just jump to your feet and just clap your hands and shout hallelujah come on shout praise the Lord come on you can do better than that shout hallelujah Come on, just clap your hands again and say, praise the Lord. Come on, just say, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Come on, say, I am.
am a child of God. Come on one more time. I am a child of God. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who he says I am. Clap your hands to Jesus.